God is good and all the time. Do you believe that? Say amen. God is good even when he doesn't feel good, right? And sometimes it doesn't feel good. But I'm thankful that God's faithfulness is not dependent on my feelings. He is faithful no matter what. Um, if you are new here, my name is John, and I am blessed to serve as a pastor here. And I just want to say thank you uh, for being here today. And as Stephanie already mentioned, we're glad that all of you made a choice to come today. I'm going to invite you to, to find your way, whether that's on an electronic device or in a big old Bible like this, to Matthew chapter 7, all right? Matthew chapter 7, as we are continuing our series, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to say, uh, take a moment just to say thank you. Uh, many of you have been praying for the, the four crazy ones of us who decided to ride our bicycles. And so a few months ago, if, if you don't know Bruce O'Neill, hopefully you get a chance to know him. I think he's going to just uh, introduce himself in a few minutes next week. But Bruce O'Neill was a missionary for many years in the Philippines. And 20 years ago, he felt like God was asking him to come back to Fort Worth uh, as they were members of Hallmark many years ago and come back to Hallmark and to start a ministry called Mana Worldwide. And that ministry, Hallmark, you guys got behind that ministry. People all over the country got behind that ministry. And uh, now they feed kids partnering with local churches in over 40 countries. Can you, can you believe that? In 20 years and over 200 projects uh, and local churches that they're involved with all over the world. Well, Bruce uh, is kind of big into cycling. How many of you like to ride a bicycle? How many of you still do that? Okay. I'll be honest, I haven't really ridden a bicycle since I was in middle school. Uh, that's been a couple weeks ago, if, if you're not aware, but it's been a little while ago. And Bruce, a few months ago, convinced me, conned me, coerced me, I don't know the right words, into joining this 500-mile bike ride. And I kept giving him excuses as to why I couldn't or shouldn't. Uh, the number one being one, I don't have a bike. And he's like, I've got one you can borrow. I was like, I don't like you. And uh, anyway, so we, we made it through, and there's a few pictures to scroll through. We, we rode through some beautiful country through New England. We actually rode from Boston down all the way to the, the, the tip of Cape Cod. Then we rode back up to uh, Maine. And so it was beautiful scenery. And I'm thankful that the Lord allowed me to survive that. But I'm thankful for you that were praying for me. But the reason that we went on the ride was not just to have scenic views and sore legs. But we did this because we wanted to uh, really highlight a ministry in Kenya that is one of Manus Projects, that's one of the most underfunded projects. Uh, in 2010, I had the opportunity to go to the Valerie McMillan High School uh, for their opening ceremonies, and, the, and all the government officials were there. We had like this ribbon-cutting ceremony, and I hadn't been back until I got to go this year in January and actually also in June. And this is part of the high school there, uh, have almost, I think, 400, 450 students that are mostly come from three different manna feeding programs in and in, in around Mombasa, Kenya. And so we, we wanted to uh, kind of bring uh, awareness to this school and the need and the kids there. And so that's why we rode. And I'm excited to tell you, this is a picture of me. I think this one was in January. 
as I got to speak to those high school students. Um, and we, we have, our goal was to raise $35,000 for this project. Also, it was going to help some of the North America uh, backpack program. But to date, what we have promised, of course, you know how that goes, is almost or just over $70,000 that was raised for that uh, those kids in Kenya. This is their one of the high school dance teams that's like nationally known. They, they performed for us this past June. Um, it was great. But, but if you want to be, our, so our goal was $35,000. we are up like to $70,000 now. So uh, in normal Bruce fashion, he's raised our goal to $100,000. So if you want to be involved in that, you can go to Mana's website. And uh, right at the top, it has Feed the Need. You can give to that and be a part of that. And you can give on our giving page as well. You just need to mark like Bike Ride or Feed the Need and, and help us raise money for these kids in Kenya. All right, But I want to say thank you for letting me go. Thank you for your prayers as I went. And I had to thought this morning about having a stool up here because my legs are a little bit sore. But the truth Sitting down would make me a little more sore, if you know what I mean. And so I'm standing for you today. All right, so Matthew chapter 7. What a great segue to Matthew chapter 7. All right, now we're in Matthew 7. We've been in Matthew 5, 6. We're now made our way to 7. If you're new in this journey, Sermon on the Mount, let me just give you a little bit of context and then also a little bit of review so you'll know where we're at and where we've been. Uh, Sermon on the Mount is, is actually called that. Because Jesus was teaching slash preaching on the hillside. And so it's just been termed the Sermon on the Mountain or the Mountainside, all right? And so he's teaching, particularly to the disciples, but there's crowds that have gathered and religious people that have gathered. And you'll see that knowing his audience has directed his conversation. And so the first week, we were in Matthew chapter 5, and we were looking verses 1 through 12. Pastor Nathan preached, and what we have now termed as the Beatitudes. And so I want to give you just a, like a one-sentence review of every week. The first week is what Jesus was trying to tell us is that being is greater than doing. And what Jesus was after this whole sermon was our heart. So being is greater than doing. Then in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, we talked about what Jesus would say is that relationship... Okay, relationship, speaking of relationship to God through Christ, is greater than religion. Okay, so relationship is greater than religion. Again, it's just kind of this same understanding that Jesus is after our heart. Then in week three, we were in Matthew chapter uh, 6, verses 1 through 18, and we, again, heart is greater than habits. And so in church world, we seem to put the other things first. Like relationship, doing, and good habits. And what Jesus is saying is if you'll put God first, then all those other things will fall into line. So our heart and pursuing our heart of righteousness is greater than just having good deeds or habits, all right? And then week four, we kind of lengthened this statement a little bit, but we kind of focused uh, really talking about Matthew 6 and it's like verse 22 and 23 talk about, it says that if your eye is healthy, the way you view things is healthy, your, your life will be healthy. But if your eye or if the way you, your perspective is unhealthy, then your life is going to be unhealthy. And so we made this statement that 
a, a heavenly perspective is greater than an earthly perspective. How easy it is for us, at least for me, is to live thinking about today and not thinking about eternity. And, and the Lord wants me to live in light of eternity. What decisions I'm going to make today will impact eternity. And then last week, week five, we talked about uh, worry. And uh, Steve Switzer, some of you didn't know Steve until he got up here last week, but maybe just for a point of reference, Steve is uh, our worship leader, Stefan's dad. And uh, Steve and Shelly, his wife and I go way, way back. Steve was my student pastor when I was 16 years old in Sweetwater. And so everything he knows, I, I taught him, all right? So... Not really, but he did a great job talking about worry, and I kind of summarized his message into to one statement, and that is that worship is greater than worry. And as he mentioned last week, that worry really is a devotion problem, what we're devoted to. It's a control issue, what we think we should be in control, and it's a trust issue. And so worship is greater than worry. All right, so I think we're caught up. Matthew chapter 7. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to do it today. Would you stand with me this morning as we read the first six verses of Matthew chapter number 7? Again, Jesus is talking, and he says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your eye. The word that Jesus used several times in this sermon was hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under the feet and, and turn and tear you to pieces. Would you, would you pray with me? God, we ask this morning that as we walk through this text that you would speak into our lives. Lord, there is uh, so many different perspectives this morning, and people have walked in with, with needs, with hurts. Um, with questions. And so, Lord, I pray from your word that you would speak into their lives, Lord. And I pray you would challenge us and that as we hear from you, we would respond uh, correctly. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. And so, uh, as we think of this, this verse one of Matthew chapter seven, probably every pastor I know would say is the most quoted verse by people who don't know the Bible. Okay, you can't judge me. You guys ever heard that? Only God can judge me. That seems to be a prevailing thought in culture today, doesn't it? And it, where, where that thought comes from is that I'm my own boss. Or as it has led itself to what we would call moral relativism, that I have my own truth, you have your truth. And because it feels good then it, in fact, must be good. Or it feels good, then it must be true. And I'm sorry if it doesn't feel good for you, but it's, it's my truth. Like, this is not a keyboard. This is a guitar. Because I feel like it's a guitar, right? And you can't judge me. I'm right, you're wrong. Do you see what I'm saying here? And so that's the prevailing thought. That's what has permeated our 
our culture. You can't judge me. So what is Jesus saying? It doesn't seem to line up because it seems like in Scripture we, we are to speak the truth in love. Do you remember reading that somewhere? And so what, what is he trying to say? I think we have to then kind of think through the context of the whole message. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, that first week, it said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, remember what Jesus said is, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And as we've walked through this, what we see is that Jesus in verse 17 said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law so that you wouldn't have to, so that I wouldn't have to. And so we see this as Jesus seemingly has kind of transitioned to this application, but also to like speaking to the religious people. He understands that here's the thought of the religious leaders. And I think if we're not careful, this is easy for us as church people, professional Christians, to also have this thought. Here, here's what they thought, that they're good enough was good enough. That they're good enough was good enough. So let me prove that to you, all right? Look at Luke chapter 18. And in Luke chapter 18, we see a little more, I think, a little more depth, a little more understanding of what Jesus already knew about the religious people. What Jesus already knew about these Pharisees is that they thought they're good enough was good enough. And so they were the ones that could judge because, well, if you would just be like us, then you could receive the kingdom of God. So Luke chapter 18, and verse number 9 is, uh, it, it seems like there's this it's commentary that Luke is giving us as Jesus is about to tell another parable. And here's what Luke said in Luke 18 verse 9. And also he, so Who's the he? He's, he's speaking of Jesus. He's really saying, Jesus is about to tell you something, okay? But he says he spoke, Jesus spoke this parable to some, and look what the statement says, who trusted in themselves that they were what? Righteous. That their good enough was good enough. And remember what Jesus said in the like six different times in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, and he keeps raising the bar. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We realize, and going back even to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, is that we cannot get to God until we realize we cannot get to God. But the Pharisees don't think that. They were not poor in spirit, they were prideful in heart. And they thought, as Luke tells us, they trusted themselves that they were righteous, and their righteousness, their holiness, their greatness, their church life, their religion, led them to do what? It says here, to despise. And we're going to use the term this morning, those people. Can you say it with me? Those people. Ready? One, two, three. Those people. My guess is this morning when we think of those people, there's people you're thinking of. 
And so what the Pharisees are saying is, we're righteous, you're not, and we despise you because of it. So, so Luke sets up this next parable, and then look what Jesus says. He says, two men went up in the temple and pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Okay, again, in case you're not familiar, Pharisee's just a super religious guy who eats, sleeps, and breathes church. And a tax collector. A tax collector would be a Jewish man who's betrayed his country for money. And he is on uh, basically selling out his fellow Jew to the Romans. All right, so that's the two characters we have. Now the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Could you imagine if I got up here this morning to pray and say, oh, God, I'm so good. God, you are so blessed to have me on your team. And I'm so glad, God, that I'm not like that guy Brandon over here. Because you know about Brandon, right? And, oh, Bart, Bart over there, he's got problems. His wife wants me to keep going. No, I'm just kidding. God, I, I'm, what, what if, what if the, what are we just saying? God, you are so good. What if, what if the words I get up to pray is that, God, I'm so good. And that's what he's doing. He's not, he, he's, he's not poor in spirit. He's prideful in heart. And, and he says, and he goes on like, he, you, you find it odd that I would say that in church, thank God I'm not like this guy over here, but he does that. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And then he says, even as that dude over there, the tax collector, man, God, you drafted me just in time. You're lucky. And then he goes on to brag about himself. I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You see the pride? And, and we saw Luke gave us commentary. He said that these people trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Self-righteousness will lead us to a prideful heart, but also to condemning others and pointing fingers. But let's look at the next person, the tax collector. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Are you thankful for God's mercy? And what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. You, you see, we cannot, we cannot get to God until we realize we cannot get to God. Like my good enough will never be good enough. Never. And so what does the commentary then Jesus say about these two people? The one who prayed, oh man, I'm such a good guy. I'm glad they're not like, I'm not like Bart or the guy who humbles himself and says, oh God, I need your mercy. 
I need your grace. I'm not good enough. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Pride, religion, does not equal relationship. Humility, seeking God. Then he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You're good enough will never be good enough. So what does it mean when Jesus is saying, do not judge? And I think this is what Jesus is trying to tell us. Again, as he's speaking to the Pharisees, is listen, don't look at those people and say, ah, oh, God couldn't do anything with them. Those people, they're too far gone. Those people, they've rejected God. Those people, and remember, my assumption this morning is when I say those people, you have some people you're thinking about or a demographic of people you're thinking about or a class of people you're thinking about or a group of people that identify that you're thinking about. And what Jesus wants us to understand because what seemingly what churchy religion leads to is pride and we forget how merciful God was to us because the reality is my good enough is never going to be good enough. And may we as a church, may we as followers of Christ never think of those people as someone Jesus didn't die for. I was reminded of a story this week as we were riding our bikes. We would often stop to just try to breathe and we would stop and we would talk and Bruce, Bruce reminded me of a story. I, I had heard this story before, but when Bruce was about 16 years old, the way he termed himself was that he was just a punk hippie, okay? He had the long hair. If you know Bruce now, you realize, wow, I didn't know he could grow hair, but he had this long, you know, his words, hippie hair, and, and he was 16 years old. He went to this small little church, and he heard the gospel, and at age 16, he was like, I, I got I to do that. I got to give my life to Jesus. And he, as the invitation started, he walked down, knelt down at the altar there just right by the pulpit. And you know what? You know what happened? The preacher walked down the stairs. I'm envisioning something like this. And walks down, got his big, big Bible because the bigger your Bible is, the closer you are to God, right? Puts his arm around Bruce. He opens up his Bible to Deuteronomy. It says, men should not have long hair. And begins to berate Bruce because he's a punk, hippie kid. You know what Bruce didn't do that day? God never let him through the salvation. Bruce got up, walked out of the church, 
and said, I'll never go back to church. And what Jesus is telling us, church, is we should never look at those people and say they can't, Jesus Jesus didn't die for them. I'm thankful that about 10 years later, Bruce's wife dragged him to church because he made a commitment. Well, if we get married, you got to go to church, and he did. And I'm thankful years later he gave his life to Christ. But oh, I pray that I would never be the religious guy who doesn't see someone's need for Jesus. All I see is their sin. And so Jesus is saying to us, now, what, what he's not saying, so Jesus is not, he's, he is saying don't be judgmental. Don't have a judgmental spirit. But Jesus is not saying don't make judgments. All right, look, look at, back in the text, Matthew chapter 7. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. Because as followers of Christ, as people who are, are in the word of God, the Bible does teach us there is truth. Like a keyboard is a keyboard and a guitar is a guitar. There is truth. But where do we find truth? You can say it out loud. Where do we find truth? You could say it louder. Where do we find truth? It's the Bible. It's the word of God. This is truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. Truth is found in Jesus. This is his word to us. And so there is a standard. There is a way in order to make judgments. God doesn't want to have us a judgmental spirit. Oh, those people. But God does want us to point out truth. But he wants us to do it in truth in Love. And, and look what he says in verse number 15, Matthew chapter 7. Beware of the false prophets. Okay, there is a declarative statement here where Jesus is telling us you're going to have to make some judgments. You're going to have to decipher whether this person is telling the truth or not. And how do we decipher whether someone is telling the truth or not is we hold it to the standard of God's word. He goes on to say, who come in in sheep's clothing, inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. There are some judgments to be made. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So we are to speak truth, and we are to speak truth in love. And what's the standard? So we, we see in 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 3. Let's, let's turn there if you want. It will be on the screen, 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture. What, what, what is the very first word of that sentence? This is truth. And it's given by the inspiration of God. It is profitable for what? Doctrine, to teach us what truth is. For reproof, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly complete or thoroughly finished, may be thoroughly equipped to do the work of God. So we, we have a standard and as a follower of Jesus, it's my responsibility 
with other followers of Jesus to speak the truth in love. This is right. This is wrong. Okay, uh, Galatians chapter number 6, another verse that, again, allows us, tells us, informs us, instructs us. What does it say? Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That's one of the blessings, should be one of the blessings of a faith community or faith family, is that when you see a brother, a sister in Christ, not living up to the standard. Now you have a responsibility to speak the truth in love, to encourage them, to reprove them, to instruct them in righteousness based on the standard. So Jesus is saying, don't be judgmental and don't be like, oh, those people, they're too far gone. But we are to make judgments, okay? We are to make judgments. Here's the problem. As I said, it seems like what has permeated our culture is that, well, that's your truth, and you can't tell me what my truth is. Let me listen to, read a few statements here. This is written uh, years ago by uh, a non-believer, okay? George Orwell said this. The further a society drifts from truth, the more it will make those who speak of it in a time of universal deceit to speak the truth is a revolutionary act. The first duty of man is to what? Speak the truth. And do you, do you see in our culture this statement coming true? The more you speak the truth, the more the people hate you for speaking the truth. But, but Jesus said that in our text. The dogs and the hogs, they're going to come after you. It's not, not speaking about the Georgia Bulldogs or Arkansas hogs, but some of you will get that. Here's another statement. Todd Wagner said this. Political correctness creates profound confusion. And so the church, in general speaking, has lost our voice. And we've allowed the culture to say and misuse Matthew 7, verse 1. You can't judge me. It's not so much that I judge you, but God's word does judge us. And there is a standard. And so it's a responsibility for us as a church, as followers of Jesus, to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love. Now, we see then what Jesus is saying about judging. So how, how do we do, how, how do we judge in the right spirit? Because we are to make judgments. We're not to be judgmental. But how do we do that in the right spirit? And, and I think when we read Matthew 7, verse 3 again, it says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? I think the, the reminder here is, seems like every week we go back to Psalms 139, and t- verse 23 and 24, when David prayed, Oh God, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Know my, try me and know my anxieties and lead me into the way of everlasting. See, see if, is there wickedness in me? And I don't know about you, but it seems like for me, it's much easier to see your sin than my sin. 
Did you, you, guys, you guys identify with that? Like, I can see what you're doing wrong. Wow, yeah, here. I, and Man, I can come up with three steps you ought to do to fix it. Boy, my own sin. Pretty easy to justify my own sin. So before we admonish someone, what Jesus is reminding us is, hey, 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 humble yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse number five, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not just speaking about like mourning over a loss. I think there's a deeper meaning there. It's blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And what I've noticed in my own life and what I see in church world is the tendency to be like the Pharisees. That my good enough is good enough. Sometimes I forget how blessed I am. I've been, I've been a follower of Christ for a long time. Sometimes, although that's a huge blessing, sometimes in my own life I, I fail to remember I was on the road to hell. And then if the grace of God had not come into my life, I would still be on the road to hell. That my self-righteousness, although I would never say it, my good enough is good enough, I, I practically live that out sometimes. May we be reminded this morning the words of Paul what he, he said we were, we were orphans, but God adopted us. We were aliens, but God made us citizens of the kingdom. We were far off, but God brought us near. In Ephesians, he said we were dead in trespasses, but God because of his great love toward me, who was rich in mercy, made me alive in Christ. So I think when I, when I don't allow myself to be reminded of how blessed I am to receive God's grace, it leads me to have a judgmental spirit. And verse 6 is a little bit confusing, and we could probably take a long time to unpack it, but I'm just going to make a quick statement about it. It talks about dogs and hogs, okay? Don't cast your pearls before swines. And the, the reality is, it's talking about unbelievers. Wild dogs and wild hogs don't need shepherds. Okay? They don't have shepherds. So when we think about the context of this, saints need shepherds. Dogs and hogs, they need love. And they don't need us wagging our finger at them. 
Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And oh, it's easy as a church person to say, oh, those people. What God is asking us to do, shepherd the saints, love the sinners. I want to give you just four quick action steps, four things to think about this week. These are, I actually just stole these from Todd Wagner. They were so good. I, don't, I want to give them to you, all right? The, the first one is this, is to correct self-righteousness. Correct those who are self-righteous. And, and I, I think the more I look into this, the more I think this, this probably is a self-evaluation thing. Do you fall in the category of a religious person filled with pride? Because yeah, I think it's the natural, kind of natural to be that way. Be a courageous shepherd. As a follower of Jesus, you are called to help shepherd the sheep. And to as Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if someone is overtaken in a fault, admonish them with gentleness and meekness and encouragement, prayer. Number three, challenge the wayward to be faithful. You know, I've talked to a lot of pastors and a lot of missionaries all over the world. And one of the, the most, um, I don't know, the biggest burden I feel like a lot of pastors have right now is when they, they, they see people who have not come back to church. You know what I'm talking about? And here's, here's my encouragement to you today. You, you, if you've been around this church for a while, there's probably people in your sphere of influence that haven't come back. And maybe God could use you to encourage someone to go shepherd a saint. Number four, compassionately care for the lost. You know, this week as we were, or last week and a half or so, as we were writing, uh, again, I would recommend if you were going to go do that to maybe train a little more and not be like 20 years in between riding bikes. But um, I have this bracelet on that I um, wear a lot. It's, it's got um, three Swahili words, faith, hope, and love. And so when I wear it, I, I think about uh, the kids in Kenya. And so as we were riding, when, when those days got long, I would just, this, this band would remind me to pray for those, those kids. You know, there's people and kids all over Kenya, all over Africa, all over the world who've never heard the name of Jesus. Then I was reminded this week as um, there, were, there were four of us riding and, and we would stop often for lunch in, in just some random park. And then, then uh, the, the support vehicles would pull up, we'd, we'd get lunch, and almost every time there were people around and we just started having conversations. What are you, what are you guys doing? Tell them the story, and we're raising money for kids in Kenya, and, and then we would get to talking about Jesus. And do you know, there's a lot of people in New England that never heard the name of Jesus. 
And then I come back here and I, I drive through our community and the reality is there's a lot of people in our community that have never heard the name of Jesus. And, and I wonder how compassionate and how passionate you and I are about reaching those people. And is it possible that we have the spirit of the Pharisees? Oh, thank God I'm not like those people. And my, I guess my prayer this morning is that God would reignite a fire in, in our own heart for those people. Because they need Jesus. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. The praise team comes to lead us in a final song of worship. And, and what I want you to wrestle with this morning is, what about, what about those people? And maybe some time this morning just for some self-evaluation. Do I have a spirit of a Pharisee? Oh God, thank you that I'm not like those people. I'm going to pray for us this morning and when I close in prayer, I'll have you stand and we're going to finish the service out singing about God's mercy. And I want to challenge you this morning, if God has spoken to your life today, that when we stand in a moment, that you would just come down and talk to God about it. What, is, what has God revealed in your heart? Maybe there's a pride issue. Maybe you're just not passionate about people who don't know Jesus. Maybe you have a judgmental spirit. Maybe there's a friend that you need to reach out to and say, hey man, we're praying for you and how can I help you? God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the words of Jesus, Lord, that remind us this morning how blessed we are to know Jesus. And Lord, I pray you would forgive me and forgive us for our self-righteousness, for having the thoughts that our good enough is good enough. Lord, for not being concerned and passionate and brokenhearted for those who don't know Jesus. And God, I pray that we would be reminded this morning of the grace and the mercy that forgave us that healed us, that adopted us, that made us new in Christ. And Lord, the reminder of your mercy and your grace would, would challenge us, would encourage us, would spur us to share Christ with someone. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Would you stand this morning as we just worship through song.